From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Wednesday, April 29th. Today. So, how are you feeling? That question might sound silly in the middle of a pandemic, but it's an important one. Mental health is far too often neglected, even in the best of times, let alone when anxiety, panic, and depression are rampant and expected. Here to help is Dr. Jonathan Sharon, Director of Mental Health for Los Angeles County. His department is busier now than it's ever been, and in a way that's a good thing. We should all be concerned about our psychological and emotional well-beings right now. But how to find help? Dr. Sharon has some advice. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, Dr. Sharon, have you had any coronavirus dreams yet? Coronavirus dreams? Actually, no, I have not. A lot of people are starting to have them. I actually had one the night before I did this interview with you. It's kind of surreal, I guess, the best way to put it. Yeah. You know, I've heard that from uh, a couple of staff and a few patients. And it's obviously just representative of the fact that it's on our collective conscience, um, whether it's during waking hours or at night. And I will tell you that one of the things that has been an impact on me, I I maintain my well-being by getting in the Pacific Ocean and trying to surf really, really early in the morning. And I've been thinking a lot about, is there virus in the water? And it's something that I've been exploring just because it's so close to my heart. Yeah. So how bad are Angelinos hurting right now, mental health wise? Well, this is a big question. And I will say at the outset, you know, we have a pandemic and there's been a lot of focus on the virus and the the toxicity and the associated mortality and morbidity from the virus as a biological agent, an infectious agent. The fact is that we've currently got a mental health emergency as well, that we have a, a, a pandemic, an epidemic that will continue and that will long outlast the uh, physical effects of this contagion. And I'm super focused on it and trying very hard to orient my department around longer-term recovery. Uh, and I'm not talking about months. I'm, I'm talking about years for this collective. Yeah, I mean, even a generation, if we're looking really far into the future. Absolutely agree. I mean, the one thing I will say, if you're looking generationally, the silver lining in all of this is that it has, you know, and it's kind of oxymoronic because we're being told to be socially distant. But what's happening is that we are experiencing something as a, as a shared group, as a humanity, as a society. And whether it's you and your family or it's you and your neighbors or your community or your, your work space, we have a shared experience that I think we are going to pay forward to be a more connected collective, mm. which is really where the strength is for us as a people in general and is critical right now. You know, all of us working together and kind of a, a understanding and uh, respecting the guidelines that were given is the most powerful tool against COVID. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. This like a shared experience that helped in many ways help folks cope with all the anxieties. And there's so many anxieties that people have out there, right? Economic, financial, health-wise and whatnot. Is, is there any studies in the past, at least in, your, in what you read about how mental health was affected after pandemics throughout history? 
Uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to look at the mental health impact, for example, of the, the Spanish flu, 1918. And it's something that's on my mind. And I do have some documents. I literally, I think like most people, <laughs> I'm working about 20 hours a day, just trying to to move uh, in the direction that will that will mitigate and prevent damage, uh, but also lead to longer-term healing. I will tell you, though, that having spent a lot of my career in the military and understanding a lot of the post-wartime realities, that the perception of how we go through that experience and how we uh, understand it as a larger group is critical. World War II was perceived as something where we were compelled to do the right thing. We had a shared common enemy. In the aftermath, there was a great deal of celebration. And that, I believe, had a significant impact on how the traumas were absorbed and expressed by that community of veterans. Yeah, you call it the silent generation. Well, it's a silent generation, but it's a generation that I think had some benefits from the public perception of shared intention. And I don't think you saw that with Vietnam, and I don't think you've seen it in more recent lingering conflicts. I only bring it up because I think it's somewhat analogous to the war that we're in right now, certainly as a country, but globally. And I'd like to think that we'll be able to use that as a part of our overall recovery and healing. That would be great. How has your department responded to coronavirus? Well, you know, I want to salute my department. We have responded so aggressively, so quickly, swiftly, seamlessly, and I'm seeing what I would hope to see, and that is a department that's responding now to external pressures that are very focused in the context of COVID, but one that will be so much stronger as we move forward. All of our efforts around communications are our efforts around a driving traffic to get help are you know going through the roof. Our efforts to have a back end. So we're right now expanding what was, a, I would say, a, an adequate helpline into something that will need to be three, four, five times as, as large, leveraging new assets, leveraging volunteers, leveraging extra staff time is kind of astounding. Our efforts to deal with the potential surge through our hospital system by moving people out of inpatient hospital settings to free up space so that we optimize the amount of, of opportunity for people who need ICU care, our efforts to keep people in the community and not have them rely upon emergency departments and hospitals uh, is unprecedented. Our focus on how we leverage as much funding from the federal government, from the state and locally um, at a new level, our focus on technology, how we leverage technology to let people work from home, to use video uh, telehealth approaches so that we can deliver the services and keep people safe. And then lastly, how we're deploying our staff and working with our contractors to make sure that whatever resources we have are brought to the table, whether it's personal protective equipment, whether it's access to additional funding and resources to keep the network alive. I'm very, very heartened by this department's response. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content.
Dr. Sharon, you were talking about the people on the front lines, the folks who are in the hospitals, uh, the, the care providers. Is there a unique toll that they're suffering right now with their mental health? This is a great question. And I, I would say before I delve into the healthcare industry that we're rethinking what it means to be in the front lines. You know, every day that we're out engaging with people in the essential service world at, you know, the gas station or uh, at the market um, or at the pharmacy, there's a, uh, a burden of increased risk for exposure. And it does take a toll. In the healthcare industry, we are seeing unprecedented things. And we're going to see more and more of it in Los Angeles as the uh, impact of this virus descends upon us. And what it will do is it will force people to make decisions that they have not had to make, uh, where there's really no win. What kind of decisions? Decisions about how you deploy resource, which person might have a better chance of survival. We know these things are happening in other parts of the world. We know they're happening in New York City. We don't know how much of that will be reality here in Los Angeles County, but we need to be prepared for that. Uh, we, we need to know that folks will see uh, you know, mortality, morbidity uh, in ways that they haven't as practitioners. What that does is it actually doesn't just provoke trauma and post-traumatic stress, but a phenomenon that we in the business recognizes moral injury. Moral injury. Not necessarily the greatest term, but but things that really challenge our understanding of the world. What's right? What's wrong? The value systems are, are put to the test. And we know this from the military and their experience in combat and in battle in particular. But when you have to make decisions where there's no right answer, where you see things that are not a, a part of what you would expect, it challenges your understanding of the world, your meaning structure, and that can cause long-term injury to your morality as a human being. Given that you know this is going to be happening sooner rather than later, what are you and your staff telling doctors and nurses who are seeing all these folks die or suffer because of coronavirus and COVID-19? We're just beginning to get into it now. Yeah, I have done a number of things for the entire county family with the Department of Mental Health Resources, we've uh, one thing that we've done is we've leveraged a, a wonderful uh, technology app called Headspace, which is really helpful for people to relax and to process a lot of the information that's coming to them and at them. And we're in the process also as a department of pushing that out to the entire Los Angeles collective. But more to the point around moral injury, we have a wonderful relationship with the University of California, Los Angeles. Go Bruins. <laughs> and it's and, and a leader in the, the Department of Psychiatry, Dr. Patricia Lester, who has a ton of experience with the military community. I've known her for some time in that, in that realm. And she and uh, her group are geared up to provide moral injury training and moral injury care broadly across the Los Angeles County family, uh, starting with the health departments, the Department of Public Health, mental health, and of course, the Department of Healthcare Services run by Dr. Christina Galley, which operates all of the hospitals and emergency departments in the public system. Do you worry for uh, the future of the mental health of obviously the United States in general, but in Southern California, or are you confident that folks like yourself are going are gonna to be there for the community as they're increasingly going to need services like the ones you offer? Well, I mean, of course I worry. I worry about the impact of trauma on vulnerable populations, including those with serious mental illness who are 
you know, historically our core customers, but even more broadly, we're stepping up to deal with the current stressors and challenges, but we're stepping up to be proactive and to get in front of what will likely be enduring trauma. A big part of that is getting messages out about staying together, about reaching out if things are not going well, uh, around understanding and embracing the facts and the realities and not going down rabbit holes, which will create more fear, making sure that people have access to professional services, whether they're crisis-oriented through a hotline or whether it's through a warm line where an individual will have a chance to kind of debrief and connect and understand their situation and work through it, uh, you know, in a thoughtful and intentional way. So everything can be okay as long as we are all honest with ourselves about our anxiety and don't get afraid to be, you know, to let other people know that we're afraid. It is so normal to be scared and to have anxiety and for people to suffer from bouts of depression. And of course, if those are significant, we want those people to reach out to us. I'm just going to plug our, our helpline. Yes, please do. Yeah. 800-854-7771, as well as our website, dmh.lacounty.gov, because that's very, very important for people to know. And, and I will say, you know, I'm an aspirational and hopeful guy in general. That kind of helps if you work in the government. <laughs> we will get through this together. We will suffer trauma. People will be lost. There will always be concerns about, was it my being infected that led to that person's death? These are going to be questions that we have to battle with. But I do believe in the big picture that we're going to come together as a society, as a community, as individual people, and become much more stronger and much more coordinated and intentional as a collective. And we're seeing it every day. And we're seeing it in California and in Los Angeles, by the way, that people are embracing social distancing. When you go outside and you see someone and you maintain your distance, but in a way, it's a warmer uh, interaction because you can smile, although those smiles will be harder to decipher behind yeah. face coverings. But I, I do believe that we are going to come out of this a stronger group. And in the process, we're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of suffering and a lot of trauma. And we want, as a Department of Mental Health and as a county of Los Angeles, to do everything we can to help shepherd people through a constructive, healthy process as best we can. Thank you so much for this interview, Dr. Sharon. Thank you very much uh, as well. And keep doing the incredible work. And anytime you want me back, just give me the nod. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.arellano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Arellano. Our producers are Paige Heimsen and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta and our executive producer is Abby Fentra Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin and our original music was composed by Andrew Eben. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. 
Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.